Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Good morning, Arise. How are we doing? Good. Well, my name is Ken. I get the privilege of being the executive pastor here at Arise, and welcome again. We're so glad that you're here, and we're going to continue to experience God together. We want to celebrate first a couple of things. First of all, congratulations to the Buccaneers and Tom Brady for winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. I had to throw the Tom Brady in there because that's who I was rooting for. Just We can talk about that later, but... Uh, what a fun night to be able to watch that, for a fun time for the city of Tampa Bay. And I uh, also want to say, happy Valentine's, everybody. Yeah, happy Valentine's. Turn to your neighbor. Guys, this is your turn. It's your time. Look at your wife. Look at your... Uh, tell them happy Valentine's. So good, good. Yeah, there you go. All right. All right. We are uh, here uh, talking about Valentine's Day. And you know what? What better day to talk about some forbidden love, right? Ooh, the forbidden love. We, there are stories of forbidden love in our history. Stories like Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony was a general in Rome. Cleopatra was the queen of Egypt. And, and really, it, it caused this rift. Their passionate love affair did, and it led to wars. It led to invasion. It led to the two nations fighting against one another and finally culminated in this idea that they both committed suicide as the gates of their city were being broken down and enemies were storming in. Or how about, how about Edward VIII and Wallace Simpson? Now, many of you probably have never heard of this story, but Edward VIII was actually the monarch in England in the 1930s. And he fell in love with an American socialite named Wallace Simpson, who happened to be a divorcee. And according to the custom of the English crown, he would not have been allowed to marry her, and so he actually abdicated the crown. He gave up being king to live and, and have a romance with Wallace Simpson, to get married to her. How about some of the fictional forbidden love stories? Guinevere and Lancelot. Now, there's a reason that this one was forbidden. It should have been forbidden because Guinevere was married, for goodness sake. But they fell in love and ended up destroying all of Camelot. All of Camelot fell because of their love story. Or how about Beauty and the Beast for all of you Disney fans? Forbidden love story, right? Or maybe Twilight for the younger generation. I mean, we've got Team Edward and Team Jacob. I had to look up the name because I didn't read the books. Which one, uh, Gene, are you Team Edward or Team Jacob? Ne oh. <laughs> or maybe there's the Aladdin story, which is my wife's personal favorite. Aladdin, this story of forbidden love between the princess and a pauper. Aladdin, forbidden love. The Titanic, another story of someone who has and someone who hasn't. It's forbidden love. Or the notebook, story of forbidden love. Some of us in this very room have experienced this idea of tension or pressure placed from outside sources on the love that we have. I, I mean, my mom, who's in the room, experienced that when she went to her in-law's family, and she was the lady who wore pants, and you just don't wear pants if you're just a godly Christian girl. I myself, my wife and I experienced this when we were 
engaged to be married. I got engaged at 19 years old. And I just knew. I mean, look at her. I just knew. And we had many family members and friends who actually did not approve of our marriage. Tried to talk us out of it because of how young I was. And we even had one friend who backed out of the wedding and said, I can't support this marriage because I don't think it will last. <laughs> 25 years later. <laughs> but in our culture, we're actually dealing with right now one of the most common forbidden love stories of recent time which is interracial marriage. And this goes beyond all the boundaries, really, of what a lot of us endured, maybe, through some of our history. Now, let me just be really honest with you. I never in my wildest dream or imagination ever thought that I would be ever speaking on interracial marriage. For me, it's this silly idea to have to talk from what God's perspective is on interracial marriage because it's a non-issue for me. I grew up with it being a non-issue. It's kind of like, you know, tattoos or going to the movies for a Christian. Non-issue. But here we are. And it's the month where we're dealing with blackish issues. We're talking about the black experience in America. And it's Valentine's Day, so what better day to tackle something that really has become a cultural issue and see what God says about it. What does God say about interracial Marriage. Now, I want you to understand that this is not going to be what we would call an expositional teaching where we take one passage and we just break that one passage down. It's more of a topical teaching, so we're going to wander from place to place to place in Scripture to really find out what God's saying. Because there have been people who have used many different Scriptures to speak against interracial marriage. And let me be very clear. And I'm going to show you how each one of these is actually a demonic teaching that has taken scripture out of context to say what a bigoted heart wants to say. Let me show you. Because as we look through this, I'm going to invite you to study and do some of the same research with me right alongside of me. Well, the first place I want to look is this teaching that came out that said that Africans come from the curse of Ham, therefore God disapproves of interracial marriage. Now, some of you say, what is the curse of Ham and why would Africans come from it? Is it like we're not supposed to eat bacon? No, it's not that. That would be a curse, though, if we weren't allowed to eat bacon. <laughs> Love me some bacon, all right? The curse of Ham comes from the story of Noah. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Now, Noah, after the flood, this is where the two of each animal went on the ark. Remember? Noah, the flood. Yep. Uh, in fact, if you really want to just drive your mind crazy or maybe someone else, ask them if there were two fish, or if Moses, or Noah, <laughs> Noah took fish on the ark, right? Because he took two of all the animals. Well, we all know no, because you don't take fish on an ark. But does that mean that God killed all but two of every kind of fish? Things that make you go, hmm, I still haven't figured that one out yet. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about after the flood. And so the flood happens, and Noah and his sons and their children began to live on the earth, and Noah became a farmer. So Genesis chapter 9 talks about this. It says, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it both 
uh, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards, covering the nakedness of the father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brother. All right. So there are people who have used this verse to say, well, the descendants of Ham are African-American, they're black, and so that means that all of the black people are cursed in our world. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ludicrous. And it's a false reading of the passage. If we look at the passage, the curse was actually pronounced on Canaan, not Ham. We don't know why the curse was pronounced on Canaan. Canaan was actually the youngest of four sons of Ham. We don't know why that curse was pronounced on him, but we can actually allude to, we can symbiotically discover or realize that probably there was something that happened because Canaan was mentioned during the sin, that Canaan was somehow a participant of the sin against Noah. And this would have been why Noah cursed him. Now, the descendants of Canaan are actually confused with the descendants of Cush. Cush was another son of Ham. Cush moved down into Ethiopia and became the father of the Ethiopian people group, which are where African Americans or black people came from. They're, they're descended from Cush. Is it just me or does anybody else not see that Cush is cursed? I'm missing that on there. The person that I see is cursed is Canaan. Now, where does Canaan end up? Scripture tells us in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 10, that Canaan actually settled, all of his descendants settled in the land of Israel. Now, just in case we're not aware, there is a distinct pigmentation difference between Jews or people who are Middle Eastern and people who are African American or black. So for us to use this passage to say that African Americans are cursed is a demonic, unbiblical reading of the passage. It has been misconstrued and wrongly interpreted to fit people's bigotry. That's demonic. That is not of God. That is the enemy trying to sow discord between people. In fact, what we can learn from this passage is actually that the people of Canaan received their judgment from that curse when Israel conquered the land of Canaan and destroyed the people in it. The curse is over. It's been completed. Hmm. Well, what's another demonic teaching? Now, this one, I'm going to tell you, you can see this one clearly. This one is absolutely ridiculous, and I'm, I'm stunned, stunned that people in the church have, have fallen under its sway, because there are some who said that the creation account's use of the phrase, after its kind, should prohibit interracial marriage. This is ridiculous. It comes from our reading of Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to ask you to read along with me, because we're going to see this phrase according to your kind, but I want you, or according to its kind. But I want you to pay special attention to where it's used and what it's used for. Let's read. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, 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 yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each 
according to its kind. Now, let me just ask this question. Is that talking about people? It's talking about plants, right? Okay, plants and trees. What, here's what that means. That means that the daddy tree and the mommy plant can't come together and make a baby something. That's not how that works. That means trees bear trees, plants bear... All right, let's keep going. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, the waters swarm, the waters swarm according to its kinds. Now let me ask the question, is this talking about human beings? It's talking about fishies. That means that a whale and a fish cannot produce offspring. Let's keep going. And every winged bird, each according to its kind. Is that talking about humans? Are y'all seeing where we're going here? And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water and the seas, and let birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to its kind. And it was, did anybody read humans in there? according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, verse 26 starts the account of God creating humans. I want you to notice what is missing. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds and the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Does anyone see after its own kind there? It's demonic. That people have taken what God intended for the difference between plants, trees, flowers, animals, fish, and they've applied it because of their bigotry to humans. It's bigotry. It's bigotry. See, here's the thing. After its kind is used when talking about different vegetation and animals, not humans, because the phrase refers to reproduction within a species. See, we've got to catch this because human beings are all one species. We're all one species. We're all one kind. In fact, here's what I would say. Interracial marriage is wrong because we're all one race, the human race. Interracial marriage is actually me marrying an animal. That's wrong. But we are all people. God didn't prohibit that. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The third demonic teaching is this, that marrying outside of your race is being unequally yoked. Now, I will show you just as well where 
the demonic aspect of this comes from. And just like I mentioned about the other two, this is absolutely simple to see. It's simple to see if we open our eyes. I'm stunned and shocked that there are people who have been led by like sheep to these ungodly beliefs because of the bigotry in their hearts. Because we look at 2 Corinthians, which is where this idea comes from, and Paul's teaching, and this is what he says, do not be unequally yoked. And this is where they get this. Oh, well, that must mean that we cannot marry in between the, the, the races because that would be being unequally yoked. And they skip the part that comes next with unbelievers. We take things out of context and biblically destroy the text and destroy our credibility because of our bigotry. And it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's demonic. It should not happen. See, we, Paul here is talking about a spiritual restriction. Not any restriction that is a statement on pigmentation of one's skin. Understand that as Paul is talking, that being unequally yoked has nothing to do with my past. It has nothing to do with my pigmentation. It has everything to do with where I'm going. Yeah. Being equally yoked is all about where am I going. That's what it's about. But here's the thing. There are people who've taken portions of Scripture and they've made it fit bigoted beliefs. And church, we don't get to do that. The Bible says what it says, and we have to match our belief to the Bible, not try to match the Bible to our beliefs. When we try to match the Bible to our beliefs, what produces from that is abuse of others. That was not what God intended. And here's what I need to say about that. There are some of you who have experienced Bigotry and racism because of this, because of these demonic beliefs. In fact, I talked with a lady in the 9 o'clock service, and she said the very first one up there, Pastor Ken, that was what I was presented from the time that I was born. As a pastor, as a Christian, as a church, I'm sorry. That should have never been said. It should have never been done. Those beliefs that would bar interracial marriage are wrong, they are unbiblical, they are ungodly, they are from the pit of hell, they are demonic, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry that some of us have been hurt by them. It should not be that way. In fact, God did address interracial marriage one time, one time that I could find. There's one place that I found where he addressed it. And God did it in the most really ironic God way that he works. It's really kind of funny when you look at it. Funny, not funny type thing. When you look at Numbers 12, it's the story of Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. Now Moses was leading the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And Moses had been chosen by God to lead 700,000 men plus women and children out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. 700,000, that's a lot of people. Moses had been chosen as the one leader. Moses had a wife. Her name was Zephora. She was from the land of Midian, which is Saudi Arabia. She was dark-skinned. And Miriam and Aaron, his, sister, his own sister, 
and brother come in front of the people and say this. They spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman that he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now somebody in 9 o'clock service said, uh-oh, uh-huh. See, here's the thing. There are some scholars who believe that Moses remarried after Zephora. We don't believe that that's the case. Most scholars believe that Zephora was actually uh, darker complected, that there are some in Midian who came darker complected. Part of the reason that they believe this is because this was used as a slander or a term of slander against Moses' wife. Okay? No, no historical record exists that would indicate that Moses had a second wife or married anyone else. It would have been a Cushite race. But the reality is it doesn't really matter. Because God chose Moses. Here's how God responds in his God way. Let's look at it. And the anger of the Lord, as we skip down a little bit, this is after God chewed him out, okay? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud was removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. Hmm. Isn't that ironic? You're going to make fun of her because of how dark she is and disqualify her because of how dark she is? I'm going to take and I'm going to apply a disease that causes you to look the exact opposite in the exact same extreme or further. Now understand this. God had disciplined or punished people in many different ways. God had opened up the earth to swallow people. God had, had judged people by giving them diseases. God had made them sick to their stomach. God had caused them to be poisoned. God had sent snakes in to bite them. God could have used any discipline he wanted. What did he do? He turned to white. God said, you going to make fun of her because how black she is? Boom. See how you like it. I find that ironic and God's just little bitty sense of humor there. Now, Miriam was healed when, Mo, when Aaron and Miriam repented. But I think God made his point. God made his point from the beginning because you know what? Being in an interracial marriage wasn't even a factor when God chose Moses to lead Israel. It wasn't even a factor. It wasn't even in God's plan. God, God didn't look at Moses and say, I want you to lead my people, but let's talk about this marriage that you're in. It wasn't even part of the conversation. It wasn't a deal until somebody made it a deal. And here's the thing. It seems to indicate to us, Scripture does, that it wasn't made a deal until there were people who had power hunger in their hearts use discrimination to abuse someone else. Oh, that we as people would search our hearts to discover the hunger of power that we have in ourselves that causes us to abuse others. Because God was not pleased with the discrimination or the rebellion that it brought. He wasn't pleased at all. He judged them. See, marriage is to be an act of love and partnership toward God's plan. It's not about a pigmentation of the skin. But in the middle of the last century, there was a brave couple that stood up to some of those who held on to these demonic beliefs and had created laws around these beliefs, prohibiting interracial marriage. This couple stood up to that and went to the courts and won a historic battle 
And I want to ask you to turn your attention to the screens as we watch the story of that. On July 11, 1958, at 2 a.m., a county sheriff entered the home of Virginia couple Richard and Mildred Loving, forced them out of their bed, and placed them under arrest. Their crime? Interracial marriage. This is the story of Loving versus Virginia and the landmark civil rights decision that would set an important precedent for marriage rights in America. Richard, who was white, and Mildred, who was black and Native American, spent the early morning hours of July 11th in jail. They were tried and found guilty of violating Virginia's Racial Integrity Act of 1924, a series of laws that made race mixing illegal. The Lovings were then given an ultimatum, spend one year in prison or leave the state of Virginia for 25 years. Frightened and unaware of their legal options, they moved to Washington, D.C., where their marriage was legal. They raised their three children in the nation's capital, financially strapped and isolated from friends and family. Five years later, they returned to Virginia to visit Mildred's relatives, but were arrested for a second time for traveling together. Inspired by the burgeoning civil rights movement, Mildred decided to fight back. So in 1963, she wrote a letter to U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy asking for his advice. Kennedy referred the Lovings to the American Civil Liberties Union, who assigned their case to two young lawyers named Bernard Cohen and Philip Hirschkop. Cohen and Hirschkop took their appeal all the way to the Supreme Court, arguing that Virginia's anti-miscegenation laws violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, which guaranteed African-Americans citizenship and all its privileges. The broad and sweeping language of the amendment, they argued, made no mention of interracial marriage and thus guaranteed equal protection of a human being's right to marry. Attorneys from the state of Virginia argued that the state's rights should be prioritized over federal laws. But the argument didn't hold up. On June 12th, 1967, the court unanimously struck down the Virginia marriage ban and overturned the Loving's conviction. The court ruling reverberated across America, invalidating anti-miscegenation laws not only in Virginia, but in 16 other states that held them as well. After winning their case, the Lovings were finally free to do what they wanted to do all along. They lived quietly in Virginia as husband and wife until Richard's death in 1975. That was a landmark case in our country, and there are many people who, who celebrate Loving's Day even now because of what they did for our country. And, you know, I can speak to the scriptural portion of this. I can, I can talk about what God's saying, but I can't talk about an experience. And so I wanted to bring some friends of mine up here, and I want, I want you to hear that language very clear because um, Pastor Kieran and Erica are my friends. They're our friends. They're not an experiment to be studied, but they are a, an amazing couple with some wisdom to be shared. And just in case you didn't know, if you're new, they're, they, they're a couple. They're married. How long have you guys been married, Erica? Nine years. I, I saved you, bro. I saved you, bro. It's Valentine's Day. I'm going to do you right. We practiced that back there. You practiced. Okay, that's good. That's good. So and I got it right. But it's you got good. it right? Okay, well... That's good. That's, that's Valentine's Day, you know, that's, that's good. Uh, so, Erica, let me ask you this question. What is the best thing about being married to Kieran? 
First of all, this man can cook, y'all. What? <laughs> and if you don't know, I can't cook a thing, so that is definitely <laughs> a blessing. But no, that wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's the best thing. The best thing is Kieran is honestly my best friend. Wow. So no matter what I go through, no matter the troubles, the highs, the lows, we share those moments together. And that's the best thing about being married to him. That's so cool. That's so cool. Pastor Kieran, let me ask you, what caused you to ask her to marry you? <laughs> <laughs> so this is a funny story. All right. Um, so I actually wasn't going to propose to Erica when I was going to propose to her. First and foremost, obviously, I fell in love with her. She's awesome. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, but the story when I went to actually marry her was, is funny because her family actually pressured me into asking her. Oh, dur boy. During a vacation where her father hated my guts. Oh, boy. And there was a lot of turmoil with the family and I, and then, yeah, I, I asked her there. But ultimately, ultimately, really why I fell in love with Erica is it was, a, it was at a youth service, and mm. she was leading worship. And for some reason, like, it touched my soul. I'm like, oh, Lord. And I had a girlfriend at the time. Hello. Ooh. <laughs> and, I, and it was, I was like, man, this girl is, like, blessed. Like, she's singing. I'm like, whoa, something's happening. And we just became friends. And. Um, really, we're best friends. It's awesome. That grew into a, um, a marriage. Yeah, when Jesus calls. When Jesus calls. Come on. Come on. So marriage is this merging of two subcultures into one culture. What's been the most difficult blending within the culture of your family? The most difficult? The most difficult. Whoa. Uh, so here's the most difficult. All right. The culture. <laughs> okay. I grew up in a Haitian home. Um, over better than Jamaicans, um, so whoa, watch I'm, out! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was for one. Individual. He said better than Jamaicans for, for those of you who did not hear that. That was for one individual. Um, <laughs> so my my household was was drastically different than Erica's. Yeah. My mother, her love language was acts of service. So she would cook. She would like my father would come home and there'd be a plate on the table for him and. It, and it wasn't in that she just loved to do that. She would, she would take care of our needs, so on and so forth. And so when I got married, like, I'm expecting the same kind of treatment. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's six, it's six o'clock. I'm sitting there at the dinner table. Seven o'clock. <laughs> Eight o'clock. Yo, Erica, you, know, you need help in the kitchen? She's in her bedroom sleeping, okay? So, like, so it was just a different, it was different culture. So that... I think that was the biggest thing, just the managing the difference. Um, her family is, and she'll probably share this, very touchy-feely, very, very emo emotional driven, and our family isn't. We just, we're like rocks. Talk, talk to that, Erica. That rocks. was hard for you? Oh my goodness, so yeah. hard. Some of my family's here today, but we're extremely expressive. We talk about everything. We get involved in everything with each other, and... Kieran's family, they didn't have anything to say, and that's their business, and let them, and I'm, it was mm. very difficult for me. Even the love language, like, our love language is always touching and hugging, and oh my gosh, you're so great. And so when Kieran didn't tell me, oh my gosh, you're so great every day, I'm like, hey, am I awesome? I need to know. <laughs> like, I know you told me on our wedding day, but I need you to reaffirm again for every day for the rest of our life. So we just had completely different worlds merging together, and it was quite the experience. Right. Right. So you guys are obviously an interracial couple um, with some obvious external differences. 
But what's been the most difficult thing that you've had to face being an interracial couple? I think the, the, the obvious, the prejudice. Mm. Um, what's funny is I liked Erica first and foremost because she, I thought she was a dope person. Um, now, for those of us who are not cool, he just said that he thought that Erica was really cool. Okay? I just wanted to interpret for the room. I, um, I fell right. in love with Erica because of her intelligent... Uh, what do you want to say? So, um, no, you be you. I'll just interpret. I've got the gift so of interpretation. I thought, I thought she was super cool. And, uh, um, like, the fact that she was white wasn't, like, yeah. something that I considered. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I was, like... I don't even know how to even process that. Like, it right. was, she was just a person that I liked. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't anything yeah. different. Matter of fact, like the world had to remind me that we were in a in an interracial relationship. Wow. It wasn't like you know we're at home and hey, you're white, I'm black. <laughs> like it wasn't. It wasn't anything like that. That would have been a really awkward conversation. You know, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Only time. Only time I refer to Erica's whiteness is when I tell her she needs a tan. That's it. That's only time. <laughs> so so the natural prejudice. Um, there's there is family member. Uh, there was the world, my goodness, I could, I could remember moments where, you know, people would have these preconceived ideas about who we are, and they'd wow. place a stereotype on us as if, you know, we need to fit some weird mold, mold or something. No, and so it was what the world was trying to put on us. Um, hmm. In our home, it's like your home. We and fight. I, you know, I really want to bring some, some clarity to that and bring some attention to what you're, what you're saying mm -hmm. here. Because, you know, here's the thing that I really wanted us to see. One of the things I really wanted us to see this morning is there, there are a couple just like us. You know what? My wife and I had, str had struggles blending our cultures. We all do. That's part of marriage. And, and the only people that reminded you that you were interracial was outside of you. That wasn't a factor. And, yeah, that, that's something that we've got to pay attention to as people outside. In fact, um, let me ask you, what, what would you... What, would you, what do you wish the church or God's people would, would change in the way that they view and talk about interracial marriage? So, I'll talk to God's people first and foremost because I can't expect the world to understand this concept. But as believers, God has given us one instruction when it comes to other people. It's to love. Yeah. So love is not an option. It's an obligation for you and I. Mm. Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 14. He says, love one another as I have what? Love you. So God, God doesn't see, this is what I love about Jesus, the best. Jesus doesn't see color, shape, size. He sees the heart. Come on, preacher. He looks at the heart. And so first and foremost, this is what I want to tell the church. I want to challenge the church. What are you looking at? Mm. Because, because if you are basing what you think other people should look like based on your preference, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not what you want people to look like. It's what God wants people to look like. And so first and foremost, we have to understand that love trumps everything. I shared this last night in Horizon. I'm, I'm not trying to steal this life. Nah, I'm just thinking I'm going to put my nose down and let you preach, I, man. I, um, I, sh I shared this idea that in the Western Hemisphere, I love our alphabet because our alphabet teaches this, that I comes before you. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. But in God's kingdom, you comes before I. The Bible yeah. tells us this in Luke chapter 10, to love your neighbor, you, yeah. As your, that's so, so good. this is the principle. This is what I would I would plead with the church to love people. Yeah. To love people. Yeah. And to worry about all the other stuff afterwards, but that's to good. love people. And so if I see somebody, if I see a Spanish person, my my brother's marrying a Spanish, a Latino. Hello, he's wearing a Latino, right? 
Like, I see her heart before I see her color. It's good. So good. Like, there's a whole bunch of interracial people in here, right? I see your heart before I see your color. That's good. And I think, I think first and foremost, and I'll, I'll end with this, is that there has to be a push to love people yeah. over our preference. That's over good. that. And that's good. That's, that's what I would say. All right, so let's end with this. I'm going to give this one to Erica. Erica, in one word, describe your marriage. Growing. We're mm. not the same today as we were yesterday, Pastor Ken. The arguments wow. that we used to have, the struggles we used to have are completely different. Um, wow. We're growing, and we're growing in love, and we know how to handle things better. So That's so good. Better today than we were yesterday. That's so good. Come on. Give it up for them, would you? Thank you, guys. You know, here's the beautiful thing. God gave us marriage. God gifted marriage to us. And it's good. Yeah. Marriage is good. Those of you who are married, guys, this was your opportunity to earn a good kudo for Valentine's. Marriage is good. Yeah. All right, there you go. All right. But here's the thing. Every good gift that God gives to us has guardrails on it so that we don't destroy the gift and so that we don't become destroyed ourselves. Every good gift has guardrails on it. So what are the guardrails that God put on marriage? Well, for one, the first guardrail is that marriage is between a man and a woman. That is the first guardrail that God put on marriage. Now, I want you to hear this very plain and very clear because there are some who are taking even that loving uh, Supreme Court decision and trying to transition it into an okay for homosexual marriage. That's not right in God's eyes. It's not the way that God looks at it or addresses homosexuality. Now, understand, God is very clear about this in Scripture. He loves the homosexual. Absolutely loves them. As a church, we love the homosexual. But there are things that we do that break God's design. And God is very clear about this thing that people are involved in that breaks his design. He talks about it in Genesis 1, Matthew 19, and Ephesians 5, where he clearly states that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And we talked about this last, two weeks ago. And then if you look at the passages on the right, God clearly indicates what he says about homosexuality, the sin of homosexuality, that it's wrong, that participating in that is wrong. All five of those passages, God is very consistent. In fact, God is consistent throughout Scripture on both of these two things. God's very consistent on his statement on homosexuality. And God is very clear on his statement on racism. Homosexuality is wrong. God's clear. God is also very clear that racism and bigotry is wrong. He's clear. People have taken this idea that interracial marriage is okay, and they have decided, I want to use this so that I can do what I want to do as well. That's where we are as a nation, and that's why we have to say this. Scripture affirms, however, racial equality. In fact, if we look at Galatians 3, 28, Paul breaks all these ideas of racial inequality, sexism, and even this idea of class warfare. Paul breaks it all because he says, hey, 
When we're talking about the kingdom of God, when we're talking about who you are as a person, we're talking about this idea that there is no Jew or Greek. Now understand that a Jewish person who lived in the Middle East and a Greek person who lived in Greece would have two different pigmentations of their skin. And racially, Jews and Greeks, they had a lot of animosity toward one another. And Paul's saying, in Christ's eyes, there is neither Jew nor Greek. As he looks at us, he's looking beyond the pigmentation of the skin, but not just the pigmentation of the skin. God's looking beyond our wealth and our ability. God looks and says, there's neither slave nor free. He says, I'm not even looking at that to look at you. I'm looking deeper than that. And then he looks even deeper and he says, I'm not even looking at whether you're a male or a female. I'm looking at your heart. Your heart determines your status in the kingdom. Where is our heart? See, God addresses and is very clear on racism in Scripture. But he's also very clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. What else is God clear on? He's clear that when he says that we have to be careful who and what we get yoked to. Now, this is a statement about marriage, but it's a statement about more than just marriage. In fact, I need a little help. Carrie, would you come up here? Um, Jeremiah, would you come up here as well? I'm going I'm to embarrass him a little bit because it's his 18th birthday today. So, so we need to understand, if we're going to talk about who and what we get yoked to, we need to understand what being yoked is. Being yoked is an agricultural term. It's an agricultural idea. It's this idea of two animals working together. Now, back then, they would take and they would put a yoke, or a, it was a piece of wood, literally. It was built a little bit better to form around them. And they would put them around two oxen or two animals, okay? And they would attach those two animals to that. Now, what this would cause is this would cause these two animals to plow a field, and they would have to go in the same direction, right? They would have to do things as a tandem. There are things that as believers that we yoke ourselves to that we should not be yoking ourselves to because they will cause us harm. Now understand that being yoked is about your future. It's not about your past. It's not about where you've been. It's about your future. You could bring two animals from two different barns and you could yoke them to the same yoke and allow them to walk in the same field. It's about their future. You could not, however, yoke two animals together and expect them to plow two different fields. They, were, they had to plow the same field. Paul talks about this where he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But how often do we yoke ourselves with things that are bad? We yoke ourselves with things that are good and things that are bad. You know, we can yoke ourselves to a spouse, and marriage is a good thing. But sometimes yoking ourselves to a, a spouse who's an unbeliever can be a very detrimental thing. This is why Paul says not to do it. We can yoke ourselves to a business partner. And man, if that business partner is not serving God, that, that can be a very harmful event for us, for our finances, for our future, for our ability to stay out of jail, all those kinds of things. We yoke ourselves to a company that we work for, to its belief system, to what it stands for, to where it's going. We yoke ourselves to a roommate. Some of y'all have yoked yourself to a roommate who's led you right down the wrong path because they've decided that they're going to go this way and you get pulled right along. 
Come on, Carrie, I know you're big, but you got to come with me, man. They get pulled right along over this way. Some of us have yoked ourselves to the wrong person, the wrong roommate. Some of us have yoked ourselves to a wrong church. A church that doesn't preach God's word, but takes what they want to believe and puts it in the minds of people. Some of us have yoked ourselves to a wrong best friend who've led us down the wrong path. Some of us yoke ourselves to very good things, though. The Bible, which points us and leads us to God. That's a good thing to be yoked to. See, being yoked is not necessarily a bad thing. It's about who you're yoked to. Because some of us have chosen, instead of the Bible, to yoke ourselves to social media. And where is that leading us? Some of us have chosen to yoke ourselves to to TV shows. Or maybe even it's not something that's tangible that we can hold. Maybe we yoke ourselves to an addiction. Or we yoke ourselves to a belief. Or we yoke ourselves to something that someone has spoken to us or over us. So the question that I have to ask you is, what are you yoking yourself to? Who or what are we yoking ourselves to? Because yes, it has to do with marriage, but it goes beyond that. See, I want to ask us three questions as we think about who we're yoking ourselves to, what we're yoking ourselves to. The first question that I want to ask you is, who or what is going in the same direction as you? Who or what is going in the same direction as you? Because that's what you should be yoking yourself to. Well, where am I going? Well, hopefully you're going toward God, right? If I'm going toward God, I'm only going to yoke myself together with somebody who's going toward God. Because guess what? If Carrie is going away from God and Jeremiah is going toward God, let's see how that works out. It's not going to be a very, very pleasant travel. So let's ask the question, the social media channels that we're paying attention to, where are they going? Are they going towards God? Let's ask the question, what we're putting in front of our eyes, where is it going to? Is it going towards God? Let's ask the question, the people that we go and spend time with, that we invest, allow to invest in us, where are they going? Are they going towards God? Because if not, we're yoking ourselves to the wrong people. And guess where we're going to end up? Are we going toward our future? I dare say that some of us have yoked ourselves to ideas and things that people have spoken over us that have destroyed our future because we've yoked ourselves to somebody calling us stupid and now all of a sudden we go down the line of of being stupid and acting stupid because somebody called us that and we've yoked ourselves to to that idea and that's all we can do. What are we yoking ourselves to? What are we connecting? What are we putting in our life and partnering with? Because that's what really being yoked is all about. What are you partnering with in life? Who or what can help keep, tra- keep you on track towards your goal? Who or what can help you keep track towards your goal? See, the goal of the oxen is to plow the field. But oftentimes, there are things that get in the way. There may be rocks in the field, and there is a a heavy plow behind this that these oxen are pulling. There may be sheaves of grain that fall by the wayside and are over here. Let's ask the question, are the people and ideas that we're yoking ourselves to keeping us on mission? Or, when the going gets tough, are the people that we're yoking ourselves to, the ideas that we're yoking ourselves to, partnering with, are they forcing us to quit the mission? Are they pushing us to quit? 
How about this? Are the people and ideas that we're partnering with, are they, keep, are they keeping us away from our temptations? Or are they drawing us right into our temptations? I'm sorry, but I, I have walked with too many couples who are both former addicts, who one falls and the other one is soon behind. Why? Because they are partnered together. They are yoked together. And one will pull the other. Well, what about this question? Who or what can share the same burden with you? Who can share your burden? See, here's the thing. Life is hard. Somebody talk about it. Life is hard, isn't it? You're going to go through difficult things, difficult times. And this road is going to get heavy. And you may get weary. See, behind this plow, or behind the, the, these oxen was a plow that pulled through hard dirt. And there are times when God's going to call you to go through a field that hasn't been plowed before. And man, let me tell you, that pulls hard on you. There are times that you're going to get tired, that you're going to get weary. Let me ask, is the, is the person or idea that you are partnering with, are they carrying their share of the weight? Because, see, let me tell you, if we partner with a bad idea, guess who carries the weight? I do. Man, I partner with this idea that I'm worthless and I can't do anything. I carry the weight of that. The idea doesn't carry the weight I do. I partner with somebody who's not going to carry their weight in business. And guess what? I will drive myself crazy running so hard, putting myself in bad health, trying to carry their weight and keep that business afloat. Or how about in marriage? If we partner ourselves with somebody who's not fighting for our marriage, we will spend so much time fighting for our marriage and faltering, failing, because they're unwilling to fight. Are the things that we're partnering with carrying their weight? Are they going the same direction? Are they keeping us on mission? Because here's the thing. We all partner with someone and something. We do it all the time. But oftentimes, these partnerships can hurt us more than they can help us. This is what Paul was speaking to when he said, don't be unequally yoked. He's saying, hey, guard your future. Because God has a plan for you. God has a call on your life. God has, God has a, a destiny ordained for you. Find somebody that you're going to yoke with. Not just in marriage, but as friends. Find a friend. Find ideas. Find a Bible, God's word, that's going to partner with you and yoke with you to get you to the destination that God has. Because he has great things for you and a future. Partner with the right things. Partner with the right people. Thank you, guys. You know, the greatest person that we can partner with sent us a message about that. He's Jesus. 
Jesus is the greatest one that we can partner with. He's the greatest person that we can share a yoke with. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus says today, hey, listen, I know life's hard. Life is difficult. Sometimes life stinks. Sometimes think, things are going to happen that are bad in life. But guess what? I have a plan for you. This is what Jesus is saying. I have a plan. I understand what God has designed for you. And guess what? I want to walk with you every step of the way. I want to go with you toward the plan. I'm going to bring you there. I'm going to walk with you. And get, you know what? When you walk with me, I'll carry my share. I'll be there with you every step of the way. I'll keep you on target. I'll keep you going toward what God has for you. I'm walking with you. He says this, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Because Jesus desires to walk and partner with each of us. Would you stand with us this morning, church? We've talked about quite a few things this morning, but I think the most important thing is this last thing that we've just talked about. Because Jesus really does desire to have a partnership to walk with each and every one of us. You come in here this morning and maybe you say, Pastor Ken, I have a heavy life. I have things in my life that weigh me down, that are heavy, that are hard, that are difficult. And I have not been a partner with God. I've not been a partner with Jesus. I've been carrying my own weight. Well, let me tell you, this morning, there's a chance for you, there's an opportunity for you, because all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask Jesus, and he'll come and give us his yoke, his burden. We get to partner with him for the rest of our life. You say, Pastor Ken, that's me. I'm, I'm not in a relationship with God. I'm not his partner. I'm not in a relationship with Jesus. But this morning, I want to be with every head bowed, every eye closed for me, no one looking around. If that's you, you say, Pastor Ken, I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. Right where you are, would you just lift your hand up and just wave it at me? I want to pray with you. We're not going to call you up. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. You can put it right back down. Thank you, Father. Church, would you pray with me? Say, Jesus, today I choose to partner with you in my life. I give up control and I take on your yoke and I choose to go your way. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my king forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, our prayer team and our communion team are getting ready to, to minister. Because here's the thing, as I mentioned earlier, we've, we've kind of wrestled through a lot of things. We've wrestled through interracial marriage. We've wrestled through God's yoke. 
And I know that there have been things that have happened in our past and things that have happened to us for some of us that have been very hurtful and there are scars and wounds that have happened that some of us have partnered with. We've made partners in our life. And there's freedom available today. God wants you to be free. He wants you to give those things up and to partner with Him. Maybe for some of us, there are, there are physical ailments or illnesses and you just need prayer. You need healing from that. We want to pray with you. So in just a moment, Pastor Jason's going to lead a song and I'm going to release you just to come down and receive prayer from any one of these folks up here. We also have the opportunity on my right and left under the screens for you to take communion, just to dedicate yourself back to God and have that moment with God. But right now, if that's you, if you need prayer, if you'd like to take communion, as Pastor Jason just begins to lead right now, I want to just invite you to come on, make your way down here and let God touch us. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.